Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey friends, I'm Sharon McMahon, longtime government and law teacher, and on my podcast, here's where it gets interesting. I dive deeply into the stories you haven't heard about America's greatest thinkers and figureheads. I also interview many of today's leading cultural experts like Adam Grant, Ken Burns, and Patrick Radden Keefe, who share their insights, challenge us to think in new and innovative ways. So follow Here's Where It Gets Interesting on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. She's got something new.
Hey everyone, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 51. Um, we are back and we are excited to have Stephen Hyden gr- join us who um, writes for Grantland and who um, is desperately looking for a CD that he's hoping to find but <laughs> may not be able to locate it. Um, Stephen, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me and um, I've, I've officially not found it. I think. So, um, I don't know. We'll have to do. If I do find it, we'll have to do like a part two of this podcast, so that your listeners um, can be uh, updated on the situation. (laughs) This is going to be like a a big cliffhanger for your listeners. So, it's it's one of the most interesting things that's ever happened on the podcast, actually. So, (laughs) we're doing pretty well. Well, you know, I'm I'm trying to sex up for you guys here. You know. mystery it's definitely up a couple levels already so but thanks like a lot again detective. for <laughs> thanks like, for joining like us. True detective now you know oh what's what's the mystery this enigmatic yeah. cd is it is it out there is it not out there is it a is it a ghost what is a you cd know? you know <laughs> that's it, true that's true the um, difference between the difference between this podcast and true detective is they're smart and they just ended it at like eight episodes we're on episode like 51 you know <laughs> we're like we, we didn't learn our lesson <laughs> <Still going. laughs> so this is this, this is the 51st yes That's yes it is oh, awesome so um thanks again for joining us steven and um we arjun and i shared your article as soon as it came out um and i guess to clarify that you wrote a really great piece for grantland about fish and it was entitled something along the lines of is fish a great band right 30 right. years into the making or something like that i'm sorry right. yeah, is fish a great band yeah um, i think it was something like that i mean that was sort of right. like the central question and um and i was also kind of talking about like why like what we consider when we talk about bands being great and uh right. and uh how with a band like fish it might be like different criteria than that you might use otherwise, maybe. So, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, it really tied together nicely, and it's probably because you're really good at writing. But um, <laughs> but at the end, you know, it, it tied together nicely, the whole the whole thought and um, the fact that um, they may be responsible for kind of changing the landscape of how we think about bands, and that also has to do with a lot of other things other than just, you know, the four nerds from Vermont. But um, also a really awesome picture that you guys chose, of, of big red at the top of the article. We'll obviously post a link to the article um, if people who are listening haven't read it. But I imagine most of our listeners have read it. <laughs> yeah, it started a good conversation, you know. And input yeah. from Rob. I don't know what was your experience, Stephen. Did it start a good conversation or an annoying one or what? Um, no, it was good. I mean, I feel like generally uh, the reception was positive from from Fish fans. Like, I wasn't really sure what. Um, you know, how they would react? I mean, there, I mean, there's there's really like two, you know, there's sort of like a two separate camps with a story like that. There's like the the hardcore fans who read the story, and then there's everybody else. And um, you know, I kind of anticipated that like hardcore fans might hate it, and then I also thought that like everybody else might hate it because um, like Fish is one of those bands that like you either know everything about and you really love them or you don't know anything about and like you either strongly dislike them or you're like 
uh, hostile, at least, to, like, learning anything, you know? It just seems like there's just not a lot of middle ground. And that was one thing that really interest, interested me, um, uh, you know, as I got into them, because they were this band that, you know, had this long history, and obviously they have a huge audience, but, like, they're not like most bands in that, like, most bands, if they can play an arena, you know, and sell out an arena, they have some sort of, like, footprint in, right. in the mainstream, you know, mm-hmm. um, or, or at least they did at some point. Like, you know, Pearl Jam, for instance, was huge in the 90s. You know, they sold ten, you know, millions of records. They had songs on MTV. And even people who don't like Pearl Jam now, like, they're aware. They, they could probably name a couple Pearl Jam songs, sure. you know, even if they hate those songs. Fish, like they can play big arenas and they can, um, you know, have this huge audience that has sustained them for decades. And yet like the people who are on the outside who might not get fish or like fish, you know, they don't necessarily know any of their music. You know, they probably couldn't name a song or an album. And, you know, it just seemed like this interesting thing, like where like, and and I even had that in a way where I was like, well, fish, that's just something I know I don't like. And after, at some point, I was just like, well, why, why do I feel that way? Like, you know, I'm kind of curious to check this out. Um, and I did. And there were a lot of things that I ended up liking that I thought was really interesting. And, and, and just from, like, sort of, like, a cultural aspect, too. So it was kind of cool to like enter this new world that, like, I knew nothing about and to kind of have this sense of discovery. Right. Know? It's great. It's a, it's, um, it reminds me of... Um, kind of my introduction to the Grateful Dead too. It, like the voluminous history was there and you knew nothing about it and you just want to kind of delve into it and check it out, which is awesome. And it also kind of leads me to my next, my next question, which would be, um, other than conversations with Rob and, and the article, um, what got you into the band? What really turned you on to the band? What Was there a moment that you thought like, oh, wow, this is, I can't believe I've been missing this or I, I'm, I'm in and I'm going to you know be a fan going forward um i don't know i mean it was it was kind of like a an extended process like getting it you know know, talking to rob about it you know talking about rob mitchum who um is a writer for pitchfork and also uh uh, i know he has like a twitter handle fish crit like he i think he Mm -hmm. tweets about fish shows a lot yeah um it was interesting too talking to Rob for my story. The fact that he does have a history writing for Pitchfork, like that was used against him among some fans. <laughs> like automatically rejected him because you know, for Rob, it's not about the albums. It's about you know the live shows. Like he doesn't really like the albums, and um, and I tend to agree with him. I'm not really huge into the Fish records. Like I have a bunch of them, or I've heard of them at least, and I don't really dig them as much as the live stuff mm-hmm. but you know like a lot of people went after him um sure. thinking that and they they like you know seized upon the pitchfork thing as him <laughs> well you're, you're obviously not a fish fan because you write for pitchfork which you know it just goes to show that like um in music cultures like people will always find reasons to like besmirch other people you know mm-hmm. it's so weird like how we're so provincial about these things even after you get older and you're an adult you know, yeah, it's true. You know, yeah. um, it's like, well, you're you're a fish fan, so you must be X Y Z. 
you know, but then right. the fish fan who's being judged like that, they will turn around and then do the same thing to like a pitchfork writer. And then you have poor Rob, who's a fish fan and a pitchfork writer. So he gets double. <laughs> like, the thousand away. Um, he doesn't fit anywhere. He doesn't fit anywhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the first show that I heard that I really, really liked was the Halloween 1996 show. And the reason why obviously was because they, uh, covered an album that I love, which is Remain in Light. And uh, so, you know, that was like a easy transition for me, you know, because they were playing songs I already knew, sure. you know. Um, but Did you think they played them well? Yeah, I did. I thought they played them really well. I mean, I, I have, um, I mean, I, you know, the, the talking heads in that era, like, the, you know, 1980, 81, um, right. I think it's like one of the best live bands of all time. Like the live bootlegs from that era are amazing. Like, you know, they have like a 10 piece band and Adrian blue playing guitar and all that stuff. Like I have a lot of that stuff. So like, I loved the live versions of that. So it was interesting to compare how the talking heads played it versus fish. And and you can definitely tell that like fish knew those live bootlegs. I mean, the influence of Mm -hmm. the live versions of those songs are very evident in the way that fish plays them. But, you know, fish is only four people. It's not 10 people, you know, and the interpretations that they're doing on there are interesting. Also, I believe on the first disc, they cover highway to hell in that show. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and that's kind of interesting too. I mean, um, what got me into fish, I think was, you know, I, I mean, I love the grateful dead. Too. And although it's interesting with the Grateful Dead, they have a similar thing to Fish, where it can be a high bar of entry for people who are on the outside. Um, right. I think the stigma with the Dead has gone away in a lot of ways, but even now there are people who like get really angry if you defend the Grateful Dead for some reason. You know, it's like they're 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 another band where you either get it or you don't. Um, but I think Fish is more so than the Dead, probably because the Dead have been around longer. I think that will go away with fish more as they get older and become more entrenched, even though they've been around for 30 years. I mean, even the dead, I think had more of a mainstream uh, footprint than fish did, you know? Yeah, I think, and Arjun, I had had, like stuck in and Casey Jones and songs like that, yeah. that like we're on FM radio and stuff. Yeah. And the and music, was, like, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say and, the music's more approachable too, right? And just in <clears throat> casual. Fashion. I mean, I mean the thing that, you know, people compare the dead and, and fish, obviously, for sort of very superficial reasons. But, like, the similarity that I saw between the two bands was that, like, with the Grateful Dead, like, what they were doing was taking 20th century American music, you know, blues, country, folk, bluegrass, early rock and roll, and jazz, and, can, and you know, and, and uh, synthesizing it and, re-contextual, and recontextualizing it, you know, like, putting their own spin on it and making their own music. And um, with Fish, I realized that they were doing the same thing, but just with the music of like the 60s and 70s with like prog rock, um, with um, uh, there's obviously a funk influence in their band, especially like later on in the 90s and afterward. Um, You know, there's even like a 90s indie rock influence with them. Like with you know with pavement and I know Trey solo records are have kind of like a, more of an indie rock feel to it. So and and also like with classic rock history, like how oh, they yeah. approach classic rock history and kind of rejigger it and and in some ways they're playing homage 
in some cases, they're sort of taking the piss out of classic rock, like that Highway to Hell cover, for example. Uh, in the, you know, it's it, it's sort of, it's a loving cover, but it's definitely not like, you know, like the ACDC version is, you know, this sort of like the epitome of cock rock, like arena rock, and and, yeah. and Fish is not a cock rock band, you know. They're, they're, they're having fun with, I mean, they're not making fun of the song, but they're definitely not playing it like straightforward. Um, and then, and then they, you know, and then they do the remaining life thing. Um, and, and just like the mythology around the band is like very classic rock, but it's also kind of like an irreverent version of that, you know? So to me, that was interesting just as like a, as a like I love classic rock history. Mm-hmm. And I felt like fish was sort of taking all of that, all the classic rock history that, predated them and like you know shaking it around and 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 uh, and doing it in a way that the dead did it with like 20th century american music so for me moving forward like the fish stuff that i was most drawn to was like the music most in that vein like and and rob helped me out with this like rob sort of like broke down the different periods of, of fish and like you know, like early nineties, you know, was maybe like when they were before they were an arena rock act, like they were maybe quirkier and a little more, you know, they would do more kind of bluegrassy things. And then like 93, 95, they became this arena rock band. Mm-hmm. And and that's the era that I tend to like the most because mm-hmm. that's their kind of most classic Rocky period. Cause like later on in the nineties, they, you know, they seem to get a little spacier and a little funkier and that stuff I'm still not totally into as much. I tend to like like the more sort of like you know we're doing like uh, like a weird version of like yes Frank Zappa and the Beatles all rolled into one like that kind of era of the band is what yeah. I like I like the most. So that's fair. Well, I, I, that's kind of like a long rambling answer, but that's like my theory of fish as like a relative outsider newcomer guy. Yeah. That's like, that's kind of like what I've always been most interested in about them. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. I mean, I, it's interesting. You're the different sort of eras that you're talking about. Cause this, the, the show that we were going to chat more about, which you mentioned Halloween 96, it, it, that kind of actually was, I think a little bit of a turning point to a new era for the band, like post Halloween 96, they were, they were playing differently and the next year and the next two years were totally different. And who knows what would happen if they covered something more kind of traditional classic rock, but talking heads with the, you know, it kind of changed the way they um, improvise, which I think is, or at least influenced it, which I think is, is pretty awesome. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, it does seem like a bridge to like getting kind of funkier. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's definitely a funky record because I know that they had done like the White Album, and did they do Dark Side of the Moon? Not before this. Not yet. Yeah, the, yeah okay. just just White Album and Quadrophenia were the two before this, which are oh, you know, right. both pretty pretty straightforward. And then this happens, and then you know the the future of how they play is sort of changed, which is just it's pretty awesome to think about now. It, um, it goes directly to your evaluation, though, Stephen, of the fact that they were pretty classic rock back then and they were covering those you know those two albums which are i guess classic pop and then classic rock right right yeah yeah and yeah yeah because like you know you guys were asking like what kind of shows i like i guess i you know like that summer of 94 era i I guess there's like a lot of shows that i have that i've 
you know, gotten from that era. Like, there's actually, I live in Wisconsin, so, like, one show that I got into fairly early was, they did a show in Milwaukee, uh, the, like, the O.J. Simpson show in 94, like, when, like, yes. he died, that, like, the white Bronco was being chased by the police. I think it's, like, June of 94. Yeah, yeah. It's at the, it's at the Rave in Milwaukee, which is a yeah, venue I know. Yeah, Milwaukee show, yeah. Well, um, I like that show a lot, and there's a show at Red Rocks, I think, right around that time. Yeah, that's good. And, later, then, yeah. And, then, and there's a show in like uh, uh, in, uh, in Chicago, I, and I know that's a famous show. I think that's like they, there's like a they actually sell that show, right? Like that's like a box set show, isn't yeah. it? Like Chicago '94 or something. There's there's yeah, one. Chicago 94. Yeah, this is the most fun game ever, Stephen. Um, yeah, that, that's that's the night after Milwaukee, after the OJ show is six eighteen ninety four, which has a wonderful David Bowie and all kinds of other stuff. And uh, yeah, Red Rocks is like three days later with also amazing show. So yeah, that's a good, awesome year from my perspective. I saw this interview that uh, Trey did on, on Charlie Rose. In like 2004, maybe it might yeah. around the time they broke up. Yeah. You know what yeah. you know, I'm referring yeah, yeah, to? Yeah. Doesn't he talk mm-hmm. about that Chicago show? That like time stopped or something, and like it was this magical, like dividing sky. Yeah, he does I think talk maybe about that. Or something. Yeah, and yeah, and that's um that's one of the like many um yeah that that was such an insane time. I can't even like. Yeah. He was like very, I don't know. I think he was very much on drugs at that during that interview, but I do remember him talking <laughs> right. about that. Um, and he, that was the device guy from that Chicago show. See, Steven, yeah. Steven, you, you, See, build your, to me about, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you build yourself to us as a fish new, but here you are, you know, yeah. quoting, quoting the Charlie Rose interview and dropping, dropping <laughs> knowledge on us here. Well, I feel like, I feel like if I set up a low bar, yeah, that yeah. if I clear that bar, yeah. then I'm going to look, smart because you don't want to sell yourself as like uh, this expert because some people are dropping like stats on you about you know they played this so they hear you know so you know i'm front loading my information that i know my trivia so it'll buy me like some respect and hopefully i can like bank (laughs) on that um it's interesting about the you know your comment about him being on drugs at that time which i know he like was by then but I, cause I, I read the, the Park Puderbaugh book. Yep. I, I, did, I, did I pronounce that correctly? I don't know if I did. I think so. At any rate, I read the Fish biography, and it was interesting to learn that like they didn't really do drugs for a really long time until they basically became this huge band. And then it just right. sounds like they had like it sounds like a very conventional rock star story where there's like this huge entourage around you, and you know, there's, there's people that want to get close to you. So then they end up giving you drugs, you know, to be your friend. And then it just ends up like destroying <laughs> the band, you know, because yeah. this, yeah, because, you know, you know, it talks in that book about Trey spending hours figuring out set lists and, you know, obsessing over it and how they would just, you know, play a show and then go rehearse like forever after you, know, after the show or whatever. And uh, how it was just, it just seemed like they had this insane work ethic to have these perfect shows, you know? And then of course you get really rich and popular and uh, then all these like creepy people enter the picture and it kind of ruins everything. 
um, right. yeah, I think old, those, those old rock and roll story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're still, they're I think they're still, still around. around. It's just they're like, yeah, they're just getting smart about the situation. Um, I mean, like I've only um, I've only been to like one fish show in my life. I, I went to Chicago, the Friday show, oh, last wow. summer. Amazing. And oh, nice. uh, why was it? And you know, the crowd was fine. It wasn't that much different than like any other show I've been to. Mm-hmm. You know, like in terms of like, can I swear on your podcast? Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay. <laughs> like, in terms of just like fucked up people, like you know, I've seen. I didn't see any more or any less than any other show I'd ever been to. So, um, I mean, I've heard bad yeah. thing. Yeah, I've heard things about like some of the big class. I, actually, it's funny. My wife went to, um, oh, what's that show? It was like a big show, like in um, Vermont <laughs> the in the late nineties. The Coventry. <sighs> or was is it like a? Before that, was so it would have been like Coventry was the it would have been like ninety seven, ninety eight. It would have been like ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah, she was in high school. Maybe Great Wen or Clifford Ball or Lemon Wheel. I think it was Great Wen. Okay, Great Wen was a big. That was summer. I think it was Great Wen. Great, yeah, summer ninety seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the one. And uh, like, it was a nightmare. <laughs> she hated it. And I know that's. I, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, is that is that one of the good ones? Because I know that like was Coventry the disastrous one like where it rained and it was yeah. like really muddy yeah yeah yeah. that was like the last that was like the final farewell and it just turned into a shit show yeah great right. one is great one is good it's fantastic I mean it's like it's one of those yeah. very much um, is in the middle of the funk funk bliss sort of I mean there's a lot of really nice really nice jamming in there um, it's a yeah. yeah so but yeah I mean yeah. I'm sure there were like I mean, there were probably like fifty, sixty thousand people there, or something, something crazy like that. And yeah. only fish, and all weekend long. So if you're not completely into it, I can, <laughs> I, I can get it. You know? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, honestly, like, I mean, another thing that drew me to fish, you know, and again, just being like a huge classic rock fan that I am, that like fish seemed like like one of the like last bands that could have that kind of mythology, that like those kind of bands had back then that like, I still kind of have a yearning for, you know, that I still kind of look for in bands and like, it's kind of hard to see, you know, cause it's, cause there is so much of mythology around fish, both, you know, you know, they've got like the concept records and like, you know, in the song suites and like, and, and just like the mythical shows and like, and I love live albums. So that was like another kind of draw for fish. Like I like the deck. I, I, I love, hearing live stuff and I also love the documentary aspect of live records, you know, just that they capture a moment in time, which I think is really cool. And like with fish, you know, there's hundreds of live albums. There's thousands of live albums. you know, like yeah. they're not, they're on you know, they're, they're bootlegs, but, um, so, so well, that it's, was really it's funny that you're so, you're so attracted to 94 because I think 93 or 94, it was the most, they've ever played in a year. Like, I think 94 was the, the most shows they've ever played in a year. So there's a ton of material from that year itself. And right. obviously the more shows and the more practice lends to them playing better. So um, it's right. they're really tuned in all year. So it makes, makes a lot of sense. Steven, you're, so you're a music journalist. You, you write about music. I'm sure that you're listening to music constantly. Um, how does, I, we've kind of touched on this throughout the conversation, but how does that, what you do for a living influence the way you, 
you listen to fish or the way you approached it or or the way you don't don't approach it or didn't approach it for a long time i'm just curious if if you think the fact that you're you know with the pitchfork stuff we talked about and you know the the kind of um the polarizing nature of fish sometimes what you're how that influenced your whole sort of evolution um i don't know i mean i'd like to think that if i wasn't like a writer that i would still be interested in discovering new music but like you know sometimes if if you're left to your own devices it's really easy just to kind of fall into set patterns of of your life you know just listening to the same records over and over again mm-hmm. so like being a journalist it does like encourage you to kind of get out of your shell a little bit and to always be looking for new things so in that regard it certainly i think influenced me to like care about fish um you know i also like thinking about music as much as listening to it you know like um you know sometimes records i like sometimes there's records that i like that I just like instantly and I don't have to think about it because it just pushes my buttons and it appeals to my biases, you know, but there's other music that I'm like, maybe I don't totally understand this right away, but it's like, it engages with me intellectually. Like mm-hmm. I it's like, Oh, this is intriguing. Like I don't get this, but like, I kind of want to get it or I want to like, at least I want to dig deeper and, and try to figure this out almost like a puzzle or something. Nice. Um, and, and fish is, was kind of like that. I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, just as a listener, I guess I just evolved to like, you know, like, I mean, I first encountered fish when I was in high school, because you know I was in high school in the nineties, mm-hmm. and then I went to college. So there were, I mean, I, so I was like a teenager, and and in my early twenties, like when fish was sort of like at their peak, mm-hmm. and like I totally just avoided them. I mean, my roommate. Um, in college, my freshman year, loved fish. Like he had a live one, you know, and that was like a new live record at that time. Right. I mean, this was '96, and he would play it, and he'd be like, "Oh, listen to this piano, man! Listen to this guy. His name's Page. He's an amazing <laughs> piano player, you know." And it just sounded like jerking off to me. You know? <laughs> I'm like, "This sucks," you know. It's like I want to listen to Soundgarden or something, you know, or whatever. Right. <laughs> um, not grungy enough. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it just wasn't in, it wasn't, you know, and, you know, with, um, I definitely came from the school of thought where, like, punk rock is predominant. And I think a lot of young music fans come from that school. And when you have that kind of background, you're just taught, it's just ingrained. Mm like look down on like jam bands you know because it's just, yeah. it's just the antithesis of punk and you just think that like well it's got to be it's got to be raw it's got to be un- musically unschooled it has to you know there's all of these things that are just ingrained in you that music has to be and then you get older and you're like well this is bullshit this is just rules that have been imposed on me on records I'm supposed to like this is music like what's wrong with this it's just music like why can't I listen to it so you know you get older and you listen to, you start just hearing other kinds of music and like I would listen to jazz or I would listen to prog rock or I would listen to other stuff and it just kind of it just like uh, loosens the cap you know on your brain to appreciate stuff like that and then you know I became a big Grateful Dead fan you know, and I love the dead, but then like you listen to fish and you realize, well, the dead is really slow, you know, and I like that about the dead. I like their slowness, 
but Fish has like an ecstatic quality to their jams. You know, like they build to crescendos yes. and they yes. get brought back down. But it's much more energetic uh, than uh, than the Dead is, and the Dead is great in its own way. But like Fish live stuff, when it works, it can be really thrilling and and fun. It can also be kind of exhausting. Like I don't know how you guys are. I never listen to an entire Fish show in one setting. Like I usually will listen to one set, mm-hmm. and then after that, I'm, yeah. I'm like sated, and then I'll you know <laughs> listen to another set later on or something. But because um, usually one set is like you know 80 minutes or something yeah. of music. You know, that's and quite a, a, a nice build music. too. Yeah, right. Like and a breather like, build. Oh, I can't. I mean, that, that was like sort of an adjustment of, of seeing them live. Where I was like, wow, I'm not used to this much fish music in one, one sitting. This is like a lot of fish music. And I liked it. It was really cool <laughs> to be in the, in the environment. But I was right. like, whoa. Like when you're standing there in the middle of like a 20-minute jam, it's like, whoa, this is long, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should be more drunk. Sure. Sure. I, I should be more drunk for this, I think, um, just to stand. I think a lot of people feel like that, yeah. I personally, like you know, I'm 37, so it's yeah. like, man, I need like a, a chair, you know, or you know, because yeah, I'm used to listening to this in my office with like a lazy boy or something. It's a little <laughs> yeah. cozier. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is one of those bands that like um, most people know nothing about, and but they know they hate them, you know. So it can be hard to talk to people about it, and they can get really angry with you if you make the case that they're a good band. I'm you, I, I mean, I'm sure you guys encounter that all, all the time or maybe you don't i don't know yeah. but like when you talk to people who don't know the band there is this hostility sometimes uh, you know that you're like being contrarian yeah they just like with that piece that I wrote for, yeah they kind of they look down their nose at you like like you must be a weirdo or a drug addict you know something something that they just yeah they're, I not, mean, they're not into yeah i mean i don't know it's interesting. What about? I mean, so Stephen, you, you, I mean, you write about music, right? I mean, that's. Are there other other um, albums or bands or whatever that you're listening to right now that you're really into? Um, maybe over the past six months or so. Yeah, <laughs> there's a ton. Awesome. I mean, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> yeah. What's what have you been what have you been going back to? I don't know. I mean, I got them all over the place. I mean, so I, I listen to newer stuff now, older stuff, all the time. So you know, Courtney Barnett is awesome. You know, she's a singer songwriter person from Australia. Mm-hmm. The last D'Angelo record is amazing. Um, nice. I've been listening to like Genesis a lot in the seventies, nice. like those Peter Gabriel records. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. I've been listening to second tier oasis albums like i love oasis and i've been listening to like the albums that like the lesser albums but um to me the genesis thing was funny what's that i I was gonna say the genesis thing was it's funny because um last halloween people were really looking forward to them covering the genesis album a genesis album um especially the early one of the early ones um, just because, as we talked about, the, they've got that progressive style, and people just thought it would fit in, and the band's yeah. a fan of theirs. So um, it's great that you like them, along with you know you like both the bands. And I like the Phil Collins era too, or the Phil Collins era where you sure. um, right, like 
people are like, you got to choose, but it's like, no, man, like, no, Invisible yeah. Touch, Invisible Touch has jams on it, man. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I like the synth jams, you know? <laughs> you can like Invisible Touch, and you can like uh, Selling England by the Pound at the same time. Right. I mean, they're both good in their own way. So Totally agree. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm all over the map. Nice. You know, and that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Um, well, Stephen, what about this? You, we've talked a lot about the dead and fish and and both. Are you are you looking at going to the Chicago shows this summer? Or are you thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's impossible to get in or like hard to get in. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, are you guys getting? I, mean, I I'm not going. I'm definitely not going. I, I but I have. I'm getting the same. Uh-huh the same feeling i feel like it, maybe things will like kind of settle down and sort of you know kind of level out at some point but it sounds at this point like it's completely complete madness in terms of ticket demand but there's like a lot of weird shit going on too about scalpers and you know the t- kind sure. of typical stuff i don't know well, i mean and are people confident that this is that this is going to be good no I don't think they're confident. Um, I I just don't. I, it's it's one of those things. I think we've. It's like a. It's the. Although most people who like fish like the dead, uh, they're they're they also could be mutually exclusive, you know. And I think there's a lot of old deadheads who are. Um, they've been looking forward to this for a long time, and it could have been any guitarist, and they would have you know been all in on it. And then there's us in the camp of loving both bands and they're like, Oh, I gotta, we got to go to this. And then there's people on the fish side, like, well, Trey's playing, so we should go check it out. So I think it's yeah. like a, there's three different types of fans that are all descending and, and determined to go. So, yeah, I mean, and also the scalpers. Yeah. I mean, I would love, you know, all things being equal, I'd like to go. I mean, I'm not thrilled about, I would be thrilled about seeing them at soldier field. I mean, that's not the most, uh, aesthetically pleasing venue and, or, the most auditory, you know, it's not going yeah. to not gonna have a great sound to it. So, no, I mean, the thing with the dead, I mean, Jerry Garcia has been dead now for 20 years. So, and I know that Bob Weir has rat dog and Phil Lesh. I mean, I, I've actually heard some of the Phil Lesh and friends stuff that seems to really vary depending on whose guest stars are. Sure. Um, but I don't know. It, it, it's weird because uh, you want to go, but you also feel like that's gone, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's like... I mean, it's, it's over, you know? It's over. Yeah, yeah. And, with, and if Jerry Garcia's not there, it's even with Trey there, it's not... You know what I mean? It's, Jerry Garcia's a pretty... Yeah, Trey, I think, is great, but he's not Jerry Garcia, you know? Right. Just like if you had some other guy and fish, it's, or um, you know, you I don't gotta think go. Would, you got to go with the RJ approach and just go with no expectations. You know, just be glad you're yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, you know, if they were if it, if they were just touring, you could just go see them, and it wasn't mm-hmm. going to be this huge deal. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like it could just very easily suck, and you spent all this money and you know gone through all this hassle to go. But I don't know. That said. If I could get a ticket, I'd probably go. So, <laughs> I don't know. I might, I, I, I might try to get a press pass and cover it. It's a intrigue to cover yeah. it. Nice. But you know, you know, it's funny. I once went to um, 
a Dark Star Orchestra show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar? Yeah, yeah. Because I was in a really big, like, Grateful Dead period, and I was like, I think they were, I don't know if they, no, I don't think they announced what show they were doing. But I was like, well, I got to go, you know, I got to go see this. And I went and just instantly regretted it as soon as I got there. <laughs> No good. You know, no good. Not good. It was like it was just like you know was it the underbelly. Bad? It was the underbelly of Deadhead Nation yeah. at the show. Just like you know the graying ponytails, like the bald guys with the graying ponytail, like every horrible cliche that you would go in thinking right. that that would be like it confirmed it. And then I was like, and it just seemed like kind of like like it just seemed like necrophilia to me. They've all got the personality of the comic book guy from The Simpsons. Yeah, and it was like they're playing this like they're covering a show. I don't know, it just seemed it just seemed like kind of anti what that band represents. Like this that band just seemed like to me like, you know, the, these bands are represent like creativity and like kind of doing your own thing and like they're just kind of slavishly copying some other band for people that like want to relive something that's over, you know. And uh it really kind of bummed me out. I couldn't even like finish the first set i believe so, well i think i mean honestly but hey if you're listening you like that if, if, if you like that kind of thing you know no, no disrespect that's just my opinion i, I could not get into it, it yeah was, it, it trust me i mean I, I i feel similarly about like going to see further or fill in friends and other stuff that's even with the members of the band because it's like you you know you're never going to recreate like 1973 or 77 or even 95 dead right like you're you got these different dudes you bring in on guitar and you know people i've heard from friends who have seen both a lot of dead shows and a lot of fish shows that it's going to be such a such a um great like social kind of experience like everyone that they know from these different worlds will be there and it's sort of like a big party reunion celebration kind of thing and not even necessarily about the music but i'm it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be weird, but I'm I'm gonna be happy to. Um, I won't be sad to miss it. I'm not gonna be happy to miss it, but I'm not gonna be sad to miss it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it could be awesome. You know, yeah, maybe it'll be awesome. Yeah. I mean, how old how old are the? I mean, like how old is Weir? Is, is he seventy? Uh, not yet. I don't think. I think Phil's the oldest, and he's like seventy five, maybe or something. Okay, cause I, I guess Weir was pretty young when the dead started so he might yeah, he, was. he was like 16. the little yeah he was the little kid he was but i think kid. he's the most weathered <laughs> yeah you saw that like does he still have that like beard he does yeah yeah I think so. but, but i think phil lesh is on like his second set of organs so he's like <laughs> i mean at least liver right he's the same base so it's yeah. all good i mean uh, so um, i don't mean that to be disparaging i'm being serious i think he has like yeah yeah, yeah i mean hey and if people want to go and have fun, I mean, more power to them. I mean, I hope they have a great time and I hope the show is great. And I, you know, I'm not ruling out going, but I, uh, I am intrigued by it. When I heard about it, I was like, Oh, this could be cool. Yeah. So, well, I mean, they say it's their last show. Last show ever. Yeah. Phil Lesh is 74 right now. Wow. He'll actually be 75 in March. So nice. that's okay. like, yeah, I think he's probably, you know, he's probably nearing retirement. So the the question then, Stephen, would be: Would you go see Oasis if you know Liam? I guess Liam's out of it anyway. But like, if someone sat in for Noel, like you know, in twenty years, 
Well, it's, no, it's found, like, but a, I mean, you know, the thing with Oasis is that, like, you know, they fired, like, they're, well, the rest of the band quit, I guess. It, I mean, <laughs> that's true. It's like no. a like era band that was, I mean, it was really only Liam and Noel after, like, um, right. after Be Here Now. And if Liam and Noel got back, got back together and did Oasis songs, yeah, right. I'd be there immediately. Sure. That'd be awesome. I'll be all over it. So, <laughs> I guess really bad but, you know, I'm a hypocrite yeah, with that. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, like the replacements. I love the replacements, and uh, it's Paul Westerberg and Tommy Stinson. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like half the original band. So it's not really the replacements, but they're playing these amazing songs. And I, I right. and I saw them, and I thought it was great. So I don't know. It's you just fun. Work. It's just music, you know. Yeah, if you we like all love it, music. If you're willing to put the money up, <laughs> right. if you're, willing, if yeah. you're willing to put the money, and you enjoy it, then. Right. If you want to see Dark Dark Star Orchestra, where it's none, it's nobody. It's just people playing the songs. But you love it, then more power to you. More Do power it. to you. I, I I've it's seen a couple fun. shows. You know, life, life is too short, you know. Like enjoy yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind. I like Dark Star Orchestra, but but I take it for you know it's a recreation of a Grateful Dead show that I was too. I wasn't born to have seen. So it's a different <laughs> thing. You know, kind of Jesus you know, if you're going out with your if you're going out with your pals, yeah, like we're gonna tie one on and we're gonna yeah. go to the show. It's gonna be awesome. Yep, we're gonna play songs that we love. Stephen, talk quickly about the show that you mentioned um, being sort of a show that you keep going back to, um, Halloween '96, and um, just talk briefly about it. And and for those listeners who want to go check out the show, come back, um, come back and. Uh, and listen to the rest of this once you've you've refreshed yourself on the show because we want to just discuss some of the highlights. So, Stephen, tell us um, just quickly, sort of, why you keep going back to this one and what's the um, what's sort of the draw. I guess we talked about it a little bit before, but anything musically with with regard to the the cover of "Remain in Light" or or any of the other parts of the show that you find particularly um, noteworthy or worth revisiting? Well, I mean. It's just a show that like I've recommended to people who um, don't know Fish and are looking for like sort of a good entry point because I think it is a a way to get people into the band, you know, who you know maybe they're unsure what Fish is like or they're intimidated by like um, just you know all the stuff that kind of goes with being a Fish fan. Like I think that for a lot of people, when you look at a band like this, it seems like like a high knowledge base. You know, you have to know what shows to like, and you know, or what shows to check out, and there's like so many options and, and and things like that, and it can be intimidating, I think, for people. And I think, um, like when I've recommended shows, that's the show I bring up because I'm like, well, they're playing this amazing Talking Heads album, so you know, if you like that, that can be a bridge to check out like the other discs in that uh, in that show, or you know, some of the other parts of the set. Um, I don't know. I mean. You know, like what you were saying before, it, it does seem to capture the band at an interesting point in their history that they were um, really kind of peaking in, in popularity at that time, and uh, they were playing really well. Um, you know, it, it is sort of like toward the end of like their sort of arena rock period, and when they were sort of getting into more of a funky kind of spacey direction, but like not too far in that direction, like where it's Mm -hmm. like maybe hard to understand it if you're not totally into the band yet. Um, And, uh, but 
I don't know. I, I think it just shows off how uh, um, versatile the band is, that they were able to pull off a cover of that record and do it in a credible way. Um, you know, just sort of how sophisticated that album is rhythmically um, and how they're able to do that as a four piece, I think is, is, is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I think Trey's guitar playing is really great. And I think that album is a good showcase for him to show that off. I mean, they obviously stretch out the songs. Um, although sometimes not some of the, some of the songs are like um, fairly straightforward covers. Um, but, and I gotta be honest, when I listen to that particular show, I tend to listen to that set more than the other uh, sets yep. in that show. But like, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of like what's in the first part of that set. Like I know they do the Highway to Hell cover. I think they'd be like Down with Disease and they Prince do, Caspian. They do Prince Caspian, yeah. which it's funny because I always liked that version a lot. And like I mentioned it in my story, like just saying like I like that song. Mm-hmm. And Rob, uh, and then I kind of said like, well, I know that these songs probably aren't obscure enough for like a lot of really serious fans. <laughs> like, Rob, like Rob said, like when you read that story, he saw me mention Prince Caspian, and he kind of like slapped his forehead a little bit, like, oh, he mentioned that song because it's like kind of a, it's not like a very, it's it's a pretty straightforward song. It's not yeah. like, and, and live they don't do a whole lot with it, but yeah, but this was uh, a particularly good, like I think all definitely. almost all ninety six Prince Caspians are different, are a little bit different. They have a really nice, I think Trey like just is very melodic and plays plays it really well. Tune. It's mm-hmm. kind of yeah, this is the first yeah. Year. And you know that, that's kind of like a beetle esque song. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely fish at its most melodic. Mm-hmm. And I think it, I think it is one of those songs where, you know, if you're if you're not the type of listener who's going to judge a fish song based on like how well they can stretch it out or like how complicated it is, if you're just kind of looking for a good tune, like yeah. that's a song that you're maybe going to latch onto. Which as a new listener. I did because I'm like, oh, this just sounds kind of like a Beatles song or something. Um, you know, you're, you're not going to dive like right into like Wilson or something or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I got to say too that like any show that starts off with chalk dust torture, mm-hmm. I'm usually into like, if that's like the first song, mm-hmm. nice. the second song in the mm-hmm. set, I'm right. usually like, that's usually, I know for some reason I really like fish shows that start off with that song and like a lot of shows from 93 and 94 start off with that there's like a show is is march 22nd 93 yeah that's from, yeah sacramento it's a um i think they isn't that a game henge don't they cover game henge in in that's, the second set of that show second set, yeah. that's the game henge one um okay and the the halloween set i mean it was nice to go back and listen to it this week i don't know brad what your your sort of memories are i think the um the in the first set, like Steven said, it's not there's not a ton there besides there's a really like a nice Reba and some other stuff, but the the I mean the cover set is amazing and the third set they keep that extra drummer, you know, um in there and he he kinda just plays the whole third set with them, which is just a totally different sound after they were kind of playing a lot of that actually in the um Trey was playing a lot of like mini drum kit in 96 so now they just threw in this other mm-hmm. real drummer and they're just like they're just having fun I mean it's it's why I don't know Steven it's it seems like it's a lot of 
like a lot of it is just they're having a blast i think covering this album and then continuing to play with these other musicians you can feel the the energy um yeah and it does seem like they were still at this point like where um you know they weren't totally jaded yet you know it seemed like they were still like uh they had maybe some of that spirit from the older days like where because like when you hear those 93 94 shows you know you can definitely hear uh them kind of coming into their own like where they're not this cult you know they're kind of i mean they're still a cult band but like they were really kind of blowing up in a real way and you can you can sense that there's a momentum um you know that uh, on their side and that's kind of exciting to hear like you can just hear it kind of coalescing for them nice which is kind of cool and um you know it, it definitely seems like later on um you know i mean i know certainly like early 2000 shows like people i haven't really delved into those people have really kind of uh warned me about those yeah <laughs> which would be, it'd be interesting to hear those but i mean it just sounds like they were just really burned out and, yeah they're yeah. um the 2.0 jams you know as as we call them a lot of people um, within the community, you either love them or hate them, and the people who love them, I totally get it. And the people who hate them, eh? I mean, maybe they don't hate them, but it's just it's a kind of a dividing line, I think, maybe within the community, not like a serious yeah. one. But some people love them, some people hate them. But um, oh, no, I mean, sometimes you know, and I was kind of I was going to talk about this before, like with Oasis albums, you know, like second tier and like kind of lesser albums. Like when you're a fan of a band. Um, part of the fun sometimes is digging into the periods that like are not well regarded mm-hmm. and like the bad out, al- like the albums that like bombed or like people don't like, or I guess <laughs> yeah. in the case of fish, like eras, like where, you know, maybe they weren't in the best of health or they weren't playing well. Cause like, if you're a fan, you can almost get burned out on the great stuff. So then you want to kind of dig into like the not as good stuff. Cause sometimes there's some jewels in there, but then also it, sure. it can help you understand the band a little bit more if you can hear them when they're not at their best because then that helps you understand like okay this is why this stuff is great because now i can, I can hear when it's not working sure. you know helps you so become the best fan you can be you know, you know yeah because like i love the rolling stones like the rolling stones are, like one of my favorite bands ever like i i love bad rolling stones albums like i love black <laughs> and blue black yeah. and blue is great black and yeah. blue it's is great but like it's you know hilarious. there's like i did it's like they're yeah. trying out. I mean, it's hilarious. Yeah, because they were trying out guitar players, and they're like, "Well, we might as well just use these tracks." <laughs> you know, funny. so there's like, you know, there's like a different guitar player like in every track, mm. and it's like, you know, they have like stuff like, like hot stuff, hot where stuff, it's just yeah. it's obviously just like a piece of shit jam, right. thing, you know, lick like a disco lick. But you know, mm. there's a, there's an awesomeness to the badness of some of those songs mm. where you're like, this is they sound so like just fucked up and like out of their heads and like. It's not working, but it's like it's the Stones, and it's great. And like, I, I would rather hear the Stones be terrible than like most bands be great. You know, it reminds, me of, yeah. reminds me of the awesome quote that people refer to so often that like Trey could urinate in your ears and Fish fans' ears, and and they would you know think it's amazing. Who's Same thing guy, with any, any band you love. Who was the guy that like was arrested for like? kidnapping a kid for like 15 minutes or like wasn't there a story about that like was that Paige yes. or it was Mike Mike was with a kid yeah. it, was just, it, was, 
It was a misunderstanding. I know, but like, what's the story? <laughs> that, like, that he was like, was there like, oh, like funny business going on? Like that was the allegation, but then it was, he was clear. It's, a re- it's, it's really long, and there's a lot of like details, but I would, just, I would tell you just to Google it. No, dude, it's, the people who are listening to this, the people who are listening to this probably know the story, and they're like, oh, dude, why are you putting this up? No, no. Exactly. He's this like, is like, cringe. No, it's, it's really funny that you brought it up, though, because it's like, uh, it's funny. It's it's a funny, weird thing. I think he like, yeah, he, it was backstage at a Phil and Friends show or something when Fish wasn't yeah. touring. It was in Jersey. He, he ended up like in a boat house behind a venue with like a young girl, but he was just like doing photography. So he's a photographer. You know? I mean, I mean, remember. he's such like, a weird the problem guy. Was I, like, the, I believe the girls, it. the girl's dad was part of the Hell's Angels. I think is that yeah. right? So they, like they didn't they take well to it, yeah. and they just like beat the shit out of them. So Stephen, I think on that note, I think it's probably a good a good way to wrap it up. Okay. Stephen, there was um, it was great to chat with you about you know not only fish but just you know music and and everything else. And thank you for joining us, um, Stephen. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, as RJ said, I know you want to chat about things other than fish with with guests. You know, I like yeah, man. And, and to touch on things that are a little bit cringeworthy. Yeah. <laughs> it's good getting a perspective from you, like someone who is who likes the band and who appreciates the band, but who isn't so obsessed with the band like almost everyone else we've had on here. And in a good way, because that's why, that's why we started it, you know? But Yeah, absolutely, guys. Yeah. Steven is at Steven underscore Hayden at um, Twitter. And, yep. um, <laughs> and, and he writes, for, writes for Grantland. Check him out. He writes a lot of... Uh, I liked your I liked your Grammys rundown. Um, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, so you read a lot of a lot of good and entertaining stuff. So thanks for thanks for all you do. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah, for thanks, man. Awesome. So that was uh, really fun to have Steven on. Glad you could take the time, RJ. I'm glad you could take the time. Um, I'm glad you could always take the time. Take the time. Um, this time. Thanks for listening as always and um, checking us out and downloading us um we got a lot of feedback i guess we didn't say this at the beginning we got a lot of feedback about not having the shows um i know there's a few people um who still wanted the music included um but i think we've made the executive decision to not include it just for file size and um and the fact that this is a democracy and um though we got more votes for no no show included than than to include, right, RJ? Yeah, sorry, Jonathan. I mean, I guess actually it's an RJ accuracy, and you're just like you're just like screw it all the hell away. Yeah, man, that some <laughs> dictatorship for sure. It's pretty yeah. sweet. I, get, I enjoy all the spoils of being the dictator, like such as I can't think of it um, right now. Keep it coming with the feedback. We appreciate it. Um, this episode was really fun. I'm glad that Stephen took the time. Um, as always, we're at Twitter at HFPod, and you can email us at helpingfriendlypodcast at gmail.com. Um, check us out on Stitcher or um, our blog spot, which is hfpod.blogspot.com. Right, RJ? We have a blog. We do. We have a blog. We, we do a lot of blogs. Um, we're, we're doing some thought leadership. And some, <laughs> and some, some names. Uh, we're, yeah, we're just you know we're blogging, we're doing some blogs, and you got, we got we got apps in the in the works, developing. We have a Facebook page. We have a Facebook page. page. It's been updated. Awesome. We updated it in 2013. It was pretty sweet. 
Um, so yeah we'll be back again in like a week or a week and a half or however long it's been and then um Mm -hmm. we're gonna have another guest and we're gonna talk about fish and it's gonna be fun so i guess that's about it all right um all right everyone should just keep on rocking and until the next time we talk what is a city without its music the legacy of the new york philharmonic is incredible nearly two centuries of history that's a lot of music and a lot of stories i was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking i can't quite believe this is happening join me jamie bernstein as we explore the history of the new york philharmonic it's the ny phil story made in new york a podcast about a city its people and their orchestra Listen wherever you get podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey friends, I'm Sharon McMahon, longtime government and law teacher. And on my podcast, here's where it gets interesting. I dive deeply into the stories you haven't heard about America's greatest thinkers and figureheads. I also interview many of today's leading cultural experts like Adam Grant, Ken Burns, and Patrick Radden Keefe, who share their insights challenge us to think in new and innovative ways. So follow Here's Where It Gets Interesting on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. Got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.